you for joining me on episode 16 of the Unique on Purpose podcast, helping you find victory in how God has uniquely created you. I am your host, Rachel Gentleman, just a regular gal trying to help people know that they are called to be victors in Christ Jesus. Today, we travel to Florida with theologian, professor, and PhD, Dr. Lorena Hoffman, and she shares how God is using a car accident that almost ended her and her husband's life to bring truth to her students. And we also talk about her new devotional, Women in the Bible. Welcome back to the podcast of Unique on Purpose, helping you find victory in how God has uniquely created you. And today we travel all the way to Florida uh, to visit Canadian Dr. Marina Hoffman. Now, uh, Dr. Hoffman is a wife, a mom. She's a theologian, a speaker, a professor at Palm Beach Atlantic University. And you are the author of the new book, Women in the Bible. Now, Marina, that's a lot behind your name right there. You sound like a very busy lady. You've got a lot going on. I am. When people ask me how I do it all, I just tell them when I gave birth three years ago, I just gave up sleeping. You just... <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I, I get that. I've been there many times. But I have to say that I am jealous that you live in Florida. And I have to ask really quickly, how does a Canadian end up in Florida? How can I live vicariously through you right now? Oh, you know, it. we were just driving along the coast one day visiting, and we were in so much pain in the winter in Ontario, Canada, with all our injuries. We said, you know what, what can we lose by moving to Florida? So it's wonderful weather. It is not an easy thing to leave everyone behind, though. I do right. miss my family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can understand that. Well, um, Dr. Hoffman, I have you on today, one, because I do want to talk about your book, uh, Women in the Bible. It's a devotional that we'll get into here in a little bit, and we'll kind of pick apart a couple of the women that we've picked out. But I want to talk a little bit about your car accident. I mean, you were near the point of death, but can you just kind of take me back to that a little bit? Yes, seven years ago, we were driving home from a family event on the highway in northern Ontario, and there was construction on the highway. It went down to one lane each way with just a simple line or two of orange between us. And looking back, I realize now that was a dangerous situation. We're driving about 70 miles with traffic, and the car coming toward us suddenly does not turn with a bend in the road. And in a second, or it might have been less than a second, he plowed straight into us and there we were one miracle after another we survived but his engine was sitting in the driver's seat (gasps) like how did he survive no he did not survive and really we should not have survived either i'll tell you one detail rachel which is that when the car was coming toward us, my husband thought that his life was definitely over, no chance of surviving, but I might survive because it did hit more his side. Mm-hmm. And he was afraid that I wouldn't be able to remarry because the glass would give me lots of scars and I would no longer be like attractive. <laughs> so with that in mind, if you can believe how the Lord works, with that in mind, he threw his body over to my side of the car with his seatbelt on. He took all the airbags and he pushed my head against the headrest like as if his hand was a helmet to me well Rachel that alone really created three miracles one when the engine was shoved into our car and our car was in the driver's seat his body was in the middle of the car so his 
you know, his hip got totally displaced and pushed out, but his knees and the rest of him was saved. For me, I had a brain injury, which was a minor brain injury. So that's, you know, people who know about brain injuries, it's really serious. I could not even look after myself or speak. I had no memories. But imagine how worse it would have been if he hadn't have been holding my head. Yeah. And secondly, I had four lacerations to my bowels. So I was near dead, you know, pouring out bile by the time I got to the hospital. If those airbags had hit me, I would have been instantly dead. So my poor, poor husband broke so many bones, all his ribs on his left side, He even broke one rib leaning over on the caddy. So he hurt himself to save me. And the miracles and the way God intervened continue to unfold. Even the person in front of us was a firefighter, jumped out and held me down to the car, wouldn't let me move despite I was fighting and fighting him apparently and yelling, but he wouldn't let me move. And that also saved my life. If I had tried to stand up and leave the car, I also would have died. So God was very present in the midst of that moment. I think what is is blowing my mind right now is the fact that your husband really just had a split second. And he thought all of those thoughts in that split second and then covered you to save your life. Uh, (laughs) It was incredible. And as we spoke to different doctors afterwards, it's actually a human response. So it was like the, I think it's the movie Limitless or something where time slows down and he was in Mm. there. He can tell you the story of our crash and it takes him 10 or 15 minutes because he remembers every detail of every piece of the car that fell out. Even when he lost control of the steering, so there was no point in sitting in the seat anymore. But it was a hormone that got released, which happens to, you know, a rare number of people. So even God releasing this hormone to make him extremely hyper attentive in that moment, it's unbelievable how many ways God worked. And how long were you both in the hospital for? Larry was there for 10 days in ICU and then had to have a surgery. The swelling was down enough. And then he was in the hospital another two months because both of his ankles were broken and a lot of other problems. His lungs had been punctured and everything like this. But I was in there seven days and I was such a mess. I was physically okay because they did a surgery. But I was so, so confused and flustered that they sent me to my husband's sister's house up north. So I was much better there. And then I just spent all day with him in the hospital for two and a half months. And you said you struggled with memory and in, I mean, could you physically walk? I could walk really after the surgery. I guess it was two or three days later. I was pretty fine, but tired. It was the long lasting effects was psychological, emotional, mental. Like you say, I had no memories. I still really hardly remember a single thing before the accident in my life, Mm -hmm. but I had severe PTSD for the five years. They tested me. I had depression, anxiety, I was just constantly shaking and nervous and so anxious about everything. And then how long was it until you and your husband were able just to get behind the wheel of a car and drive? Oh, you know, Rachel, there was this beautiful moment and my husband was back home. So it must have been about two and a half months afterwards. I had been taking a a driver that the insurer provided up till then I was sitting in my house and I was afraid to just go to the local grocery store and get us some treats it was probably chocolate (laughs) and I sat there I didn't want to go I didn't want to get off the couch I didn't want to do anything 
And I realized in that moment I had a choice. I could Mm. just continue to sit on the couch and never leave the house Mm -hmm. because the world was scary and anything can happen again. But that to me would be a slow death. Or I could face all my fears and move forward while being afraid and move forward anyways, just relying on God. And even though it would be horrible and scary and I'd be so anxious, panic attack after panic attack, that would be living. So, Rachel, when I hit that moment, I just got in the car anyways and drove. And I said, the Lord saved me from a massive car accident. Like He can protect me just to drive to the grocery store. Mm-hmm. So that was a huge moment in my life. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, were you were you uh, a PhD at this moment? Were you teaching at a college in Canada? I had just finished my doctorate. I hadn't graduated, but I had my degree at Christmas time. This happened in February. And I had also, if you can believe it or not, in January I had proposed to teach a seminar at the local Uh, academic conference, I'll say. It was national. It was a big deal. And it was right in our city. So it was a great opportunity. Well, of all things, I chose to talk about trauma in Genesis. Mm. So I was planning on spending the month of February and March studying trauma and really pulling, putting together this seminar if it got accepted. Well, this person is harassing me in the hospital. I have so many missed calls. And I'm so annoyed that someone's calling me two, three times a day. I finally answer it. And the person's like, thank you, please. We accepted your paper. Will you come and give it in June? Rachel, I had no idea what they were talking about. Oh. Can you imagine? But somehow I said yes, and it all worked out. And here I was in June, barely could speak. I gave the seminar on trauma, having just gone through it myself. So I had no time to research it. And yet I feel like God really gave me a beautiful paper because I could see myself in the lives of women in Genesis. without having to do the research. Wow. Okay, so you get into this accident, and then how long was it after the accident that you ended up moving to Florida? That was about a year and a half. So, again, a couple months. Like We're still spending all day in the hospital, and I get another call from the dean at Palm Beach Atlantic saying, so are you coming in August? (laughs) And I have no idea. No clue what he's talking about. about. Like, I'm having to say, can you hold on for a minute? Oh, wow. Flipping to my phone, flipping to my email to see the last email I got from him. Here we were right before the accident talking about (sighs) details to start. And I thought it was September. That's when school starts in Canada. But here in Florida, it's August. I'm, again, just dumbfounded and overwhelmed again. So I said, no. There's no way we can go. But a year later, there we were. And that's really the moment where we came down to Florida in for a vacation and we said, Lord, life is really hard in Canada. We have nothing to lose. So we'll say yes. We'll obey your call. We'll come down to Florida and start a new life and just see what you will do. And God really blessed us richly. But again, so shocking that I was getting a job offer and I can't even speak English. Wow. And so you moved to Florida and now this is kind of... Okay, let me back up a minute. You're now in Florida and you're trying to teach. How is your car accident from the past affecting your your job, your ministry as a professor? Well, 
when people say they become a professor or a teacher, they often say they're faking it and feel like a fraud. And I feel that I can say that more than anyone on <laughs> earth. I was having to say my lecture or at least go over my notes over and over and over for two or three days solid before that terrifying day of my classes came. And so there I was for two weeks trying my best, terrified to look at the class instead of my notes, right? Everything that a kind of a person does that's wrong in a lecture. And that was me. And I was so afraid. I would be found out. You know what? Two weeks into the class, I'm doing Old Testament course and we're talking about Exodus, the incredible miracles that God has done in Exodus. And I was so convicted because here God was doing incredible things. We were talking about it in class. God had done something incredible in my life, but I was really ashamed of it and hiding it. So that class, I decided to end it five minutes early, and I gave them my testimony in super turbo speed. I timed it so that as soon as I finished, you know, more or less, the bell would ring, right? Everyone would leave. Mm -hmm. Rachel, I just started pouring out my heart of all the things God had done and all my struggles. I told them I was terrified to face them, to come into the class. I couldn't remember Bible references, and I was afraid they would find out. I'm just pouring out my heart to them. I finally look up after muttering out this testimony, and there's not a dry eye in the room. The males, the females, all of the students were just literally weeping and just found it so beautiful and then everything changed the second I paused at all they would jump in with the word or they'd be like I got it I got it google the verse and get the little reference for me off their phones so it it totally turned around and after that I continued to share my testimony with every class and it became so easy because I didn't have to hide anything I didn't have to be an imposter in any way. I could rely on them. And what a beautiful bond we created. Well, and not just that, but it made you relatable. I think when someone sees you, you're a PhD, you're a professor at a university, they put you up up on this platform. So the fact that you can say, you know what, I'm trying to fake it till I make it right now, because this is what happened in my past, and I have to overcome. I think it makes you more relatable. And it brings you off of that pedestal. What, What do you say to that? It's true. It brought out so many stories of my students. I mean, every semester I tell every class my testimony. I don't wait till Exodus now. I tell them right from the <laughs> beginning, class one. And I always, I kind of do it for my convenience because there's not really anything for me to do the first week. Mm-hmm. We're just getting everyone together. So it's a fine time for me to receive all kinds of emails and I can respond to them thoughtfully and, t- and take my time. And they just pour out their heart after I tell them my fears and the place that I've come from because everyone, especially our young people are facing so many struggles, pressures, they're anxious. Many of them are depressed. They're Mm -hmm. not sure where they're supposed to go. And all they can do is compare themselves to everyone they see on Instagram that seems to have all their life and dreams and plans together. So it is beautiful how when we share a testimony, it opens the door for other people to share and encourage them so much because if God was faithful in my life, God will certainly be faithful to them as well. And because of your accident, I mean, really, let's be real. You shouldn't be teaching at a university you shouldn't I mean I mean it did so much to your body I'm shocked that you became a mom I mean I'm not shocked because God is the God of miracles but when something like that so tragically happens to our system you it's you it's a miracle that you even conceived and not only that but you wrote a book 
and people that have gone through a lot of trauma like that, that's a, that's a, you're having a struggle remembering scripture and then you're going to go write a book. Like, tell me kind of the process of why you wrote this book. Well, when I returned back to my scholarship very slowly, I thought, well, I've got to at least start reading the Bible again and come back to where I was and see how I can fix my brain. So I started to read the stories that I had loved so much academically, these women who did accomplish so much and had great leadership models for me to follow. And suddenly I didn't just see them as in a critical way of their leadership and how they handled their challenges, but I could relate to them so well. And you know, Rachel, you share about the fact that I conceived, which was miraculous, but it did not come without many, many nights and days of sorrow and begging God for a child and pleading for a miracle. And so you can imagine when I read the story of Hannah, how she was in the same place, Mm -hmm. crying out to God for a child. I resonated so much with these stories. They were so encouraging, and they really helped me feel that I wasn't on my journey alone. Mm -hmm. And as I shared it with people just casually in conversation, people were so encouraged. I was really compelled to write this book for other women because I think that the knowledge of these stories is not as wide as it should be. I think they offer so much for us and if I can help others see the encouragement and hope I found in the stories, well, that's a blessing to me. Now, I was reading on your website that one of the reasons why you started writing this book is because your students that you were teaching, they weren't aware of the women in the Bible. They kind of had some skewed ideas. What, what was that? It's so true. I mean, the first chapter I talk about is Hagar. Maybe some people know about that, but the second chapter is Tamar. And who has ever heard of a sermon on Tamar? I've asked it many times, Rachel, <laughs> and you might be the first, maybe some of your listeners, but no one has ever said, oh, yes, my pastor did a series on Tamar and yeah. how she posed as a prostitute to fulfill God's plan for a tribe of Israel. No one preaches on that. Yeah. So, yes, these stories are not widely known, and I think sometimes when we do hear sermons on women, they can even have a negative spin. You know, I heard a story, a a sermon on Ruth once and how she was a picture of unfaithfulness. And I thought, no, no, no. Ruth is a beautiful woman. She's so faithful. She loves God despite all the trauma that comes to her. So again, just letting people know that these stories are very positive. God is with these women. God has a call on their life just as God is with us today and has a call on us to make a difference. Now, I want to talk about two specific uh, women. One that you have in your book are the midwives in the book of Exodus. I want you to share a, a little bit with me about why you chose these midwives. Well, I'm glad you raised the midwives because we're talking about Exodus, right? The mm-hmm. story of miracles and how that lesson plan myself compelled me to give my testimony. So when we turn to the book of Exodus, what's the first story we read about? It's these midwives. And so it's incredible that the string of miracles that many of us know about, the parting of the sea, the plagues in Israel, this great deliverance, it starts with God working a miracle through these midwives because they are faithful. And they're doing their job, bringing babies into the world, making sure moms are safe and healthy. And suddenly, and we all know what it's like to have a suddenly in our life, something unexpected that we're not prepared for. The king tells these women that instead of bringing them into the world healthy, 
the king wants them to kill all the male boys. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine the trauma that that request presents to these women. Their job is to bring life, and now they're supposed to do the opposite. And yet if they don't obey the king, that's treason. The king of Egypt, he will kill them. So what are these go- women going to do? It's a beautiful story of courage and faithfulness and, in a sense, fear but not fear of the king, fear of God, that they will serve God first and be faithful to God, and they will not fear what anyone does to them. Okay, now, you're the theologian. I do have to ask, we in the 21st century, we see midwifery as these women are amazing and they're heroes, and I don't know if it's because of what they do or because of the extensive education, or maybe it was the Call the Midwife series. I don't know, but we look at midwif- uh, those women that are midwives as heroes. Were they looked upon back then like as heroes, or were they just kind of an everyday job? Well, you know, Rachel, that is such a great question, and it really asks what our approach to the Bible is. So some things are not said, and we have to fill in the gap. And we can't say, oh, women, they had such low profiles in society. But I would object to that because, first of all, they have an audience with the king. Mm. The king feels threatened by all these Hebrew children Mm. and descendants. And who does he call? to stop this threat, the midwives. Mm. So he's putting a great deal of weight on them. They are not minor characters. He knows them and he trusts them to eliminate this threat he feels to his nation. That, to me, is a fairly powerful position to be in. And the other perspective I think we can bring, Rachel, is any woman who's had a child who's given birth knows that those support people are not minor characters. They are life and death. And I can at least speak to my doula. I had a doctor but also had a doula. She is like an angel to me. I don't think you could convince me that she's fully human because I don't know. I don't think I would be here without her. She was incredible. So I don't think that there would be any woman today or in the ancient world that would not put great weight and appreciation on the role that midwives play. Now, how can we take the role of the midwives in the book of Exodus and relate it to us today in the 21st? century. Absolutely. So here we have these two women. There they are. Are they going to obey the king and live by killing all these boys, or do they risk their very lives? Well, Rachel, they risk their lives. They will not compromise for anyone. They save these baby boys, and they find a way to trick the king into not understanding the situation, and he doesn't even realize what they've done. So it's a beautiful story of courage. It is a story where they might have had fear, but yet their fear was placed in serving God, not in fear of what will happen to them if they don't obey humanity. And I think that's a wonderful lesson for us to take away. Where do we put our faith and trust? Mm -hmm. It has to be in God if our life is to be anchored. And the second thing is God does not call them to do something that is foreign or really brand new to them. They simply continue on with their ordinary life and their possession and their profession. So God has given them a profession and a career in saving babies and they keep doing it. They don't let anyone stop them. And I love that, Rachel, because when I think of my own life, I think, how am I going to make a difference for God? Mm -hmm. How am I going to have a legacy? 
well, maybe, Rachel, I can just keep doing what I'm already doing, talking about women in the Bible in my career and being the best mom I can be. Mm -hmm. And if all I accomplish in life is to be Christ to my little daughter, to raise her to love the Lord, to exemplify how much Christ loves her by my own actions, I think that is more than I could ever ask for. And I'm sure I will never know the lasting impact of that choice. Yeah. No, that's really good. Um, now, because we uh, are airing this so close to Christmas time, I want to do the stereotypical thing and go to the New Testament and talk about Mary, the mother of Jesus, because in your book, you kind of have some neat perspectives on there. But I want you to go ahead and share a little bit about Mary, and then I'm going to ask you some questions. Sure, I'm glad you asked because as Christmas rolls around, you know, we see all these images of Mary. And for me, seeing images, especially from a Catholic perspective, she has a halo, she looks so perfect. Until I really dove into her story for this book, I felt very much that Mary was other. And I thought, how am I going to collect her, connect her amazing life and her righteousness to women today and even in my own life? And It dawned on me that Mary's call is very simple. She's supposed to bear Christ and then raise him in God's ways. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what, in a sense, we are called to do. We are called to bear Christ. Not literally, of course, but I am called every day to bear Christ to those around me, to to bear Christ in my speech and my actions, in my attitudes, to bear the fruits of the Spirit. So I now feel a beautiful connection to Mary and her life and calling. Mm-hmm. Now, in the book, page 98, you what you do in, in your devotional is you kind of you give the scriptures and then you kind of give a little bit of commentary and you ask about that scripture. And you talk about Matthew chapter 13, where it says that Jesus is in his hometown and he begins teaching to the people. He's teaching in the synagogue and everybody is amazed and they're going, where did this man get this wisdom? and this in his miraculous powers and then they ask this question well isn't this the carpenter's son isn't his mother's uh, name mary and aren't his brothers so and so so and so and so and so and you made the comment that little is expected of mary by her community and that people don't associate her with wisdom or the miraculous why do you think that is Well, there's this whole tension in the gospel that these people have Christ in their midst, and yet for some reason they miss out on it. They don't see all that Christ is, and I think the same thing applies to Mary. Here she is, the mother of God. Her very life announces the coming of the Savior, and she has an incredible role in Jesus' life, not just as his mother only, but Additionally, she calls him to do his first miracle at the wedding in Cana, and over and over we see Mary appearing in the gospel. So she has a huge role, and yet even like the life of Christ, she gets missed. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, uh, not by Luke, right? We know her story because there were a few that really saw the incredible role she had and can tell us Mm -hmm. how easy for it, how easy it is for us to live busy lives and to not see the way God is 
active and working right in our midst. Now, do you think that these people were shocked that he was the son of Mary? She's just a commoner. She's a peasant. Dad is a carpenter. I I guess I always took the perspective that they didn't respect her because in the back of their mind, they thought she really wasn't a virgin when she got married to to Joseph like he's really his birth wasn't really miraculous so do you think that there's some of that that kind of plays in there or do you think it's more of just the faith portion oh I think exactly Rachel and the same thing happens today and so sad I'll admit myself sometimes something you know I pray for something and it works out and I should think wow Lord thank you for working this miracle sometimes I think oh wow I'm so lucky that Mm -hmm. happened Mm -hmm. no when we pray and that's one of the beautiful aspects of prayer right when we pray we put it before God and when God answers hopefully our spirit is receptive to know that that was the Lord working in our life it's not just luck or coincidence and I think the same thing with Mary with Jesus are these people truly healed or is it just some kind of witchcraft that's happening no Christ has come Christ is healing and changing lives and yet how easy for the people back then like us today to either not have faith that it's possible or to simply explain it away Mm -hmm. and I like that in the beginning when you talk about Mary you share uh, portions of Luke in the fact that because you know Luke's account really isn't his account Luke interviewed so many witness testimonies to be able to write his book and you are very specific you say this is Mary's story because Luke had to interview Mary in order to get this amazing account that he has of her and you you share Luke chapter or yes excuse me Luke chapter 11 where it says as Jesus was teaching a woman in the crowd called out blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you but then Jesus replied well blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Now that, that I'm not going to lie, that used to bother me because I'm like, why wouldn't you allow your mother to be blessed, you know? But you have a different perspective on Jesus replying in that way. Can you go ahead and describe that? Yes, I'm in the same boat as you, Rachel. It used to bother me. It's almost like he discredits it. Yeah. I see it as I, you know, I thought about it, of course, over and over. I said, you know what? I think it's not the case that Jesus is discrediting Mary, but he's in a sense saying, indeed, and blessed are all back then and us today who hear the word of God and obey it. And to me, again, it comes back to our perspective. Is Mary so other or is there a way we can connect with her and I think Jesus is encouraging us to connect with her blessedness, right? Blessed, Rachel, are you when you hear the word of God and obey it. Mm -hmm. And me and our listeners today, when we hear the word of God and obey it, we enter into the blessing and the favor of Mary. It's a beautiful passage. I agree. What can we learn from Mary today? How can we take Mary's story and apply it to our lives here in the 21st century? Well, I come back to, Rachel, a moment that happened increasingly a long time ago now, almost two years, where suddenly we were told to stay home for two weeks and things would get better after that. It was just going to be two weeks. Mm -hmm. And yet how 
dramatic our lives have changed since that moment because it wasn't just a two-week time of our life. These issues in, in society today have continued to go on and have created so much hardship and just a dramatic change in our life. Mm-hmm. And I think in many ways that's Mary's story. Suddenly an angel appears and really tells her that all her dreams, whatever she planned in her life, Everything was going to be changed completely because she was now the mother of the Son of God. And how incredible that in that moment, despite the trauma of dramatic change, she says yes to God and she commits and she accepts God's calling. And I think that's where we can follow her example today. Lord, whatever you call us to do, whatever change it might mean, whatever dedication we need to give you, we will say yes to you. And then to live life in continual faith faithfulness and obedience and just to end on one point Rachel the last in the last time we see Mary is after Jesus has gone to heaven mm-hmm. so surely then her task must be done and yet she herself carries on the task that angel gave her to bear Christ by being in the upper room establishing mm. the early church yeah. so Mary also calls me to go above and beyond God's call for today and just commit lifelong and give it myself wholeheartedly to his plan. Oh, that's good. I got goosebumps. And and you can uh, let me know what you think about this. I, I sometimes when I picture Mary, she said yes, but not only did she sacrifice to be the mother of Jesus, I feel like she sacrificed so much more than that as far as people had to have looked at her as, oh, that's the woman who has the bastard son that she calls Jesus, you know, because who who in the heck can um, believe that she gave birth miraculously as a virgin, right? So I'm wondering if she lived most of Jesus's life, people looking at her in that way, and it really wasn't until his resurrection that maybe they saw her and said, oh, 33 years and she was right the whole time this whole 33 years I looked at her this way and pushed her aside when she was right the whole time it's so true and I think that relates to us in many ways you know we too have to be so grounded in who we are in Christ that we move forward despite what people say and I don't think our time has changed that much Rachel we can be so condemned and are for our values Mm -hmm. and the dreams we have for our children the way we want to raise them the way we want to live our life the choices we want to make and unless it's culturally acceptable and very different from what the Bible teaches. I think we're constantly condemned. And I'm sure Mary faced that. I'm sure that Mary faced it again. Why is she waiting in the upper room, right? Mm -hmm. How many of us would just gather and wait for the Holy Spirit to come and a mighty revival to break out? But by then, she must have been so grounded that she realized nothing else mattered. Mm -hmm. She wasn't going to listen to the voices around her. She was going to claim that call from the angel and hold on to it. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Hoffman, for being here and sharing with us today. If you would like to find Marina Hoffman, you can follow her on Instagram. You can also get her book, uh, Women in the Bible, at womeninthebible.info slash book, or you have it available on Amazon. And you said it's free? 
the video series is the free video on my series website. is free. free they can there's no need to give an email address there's no ads it's sent through a private server so if you want a more of this personal connection to women in the Bible, you can check out the series. And the book complemented by being, as you said, heavier, uh, very much grounded in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And then if you do a, a group, small group devotional with the book, would that those video series go with the chapters in the book? Yes, and Rachel, that's because of my testimony of having a lot of anxiety. I thought, I can't tell other people to lead a small group when I would be terrified. So you know what? All you have to do is get a few women in your living room. That's easy. They'll talk. When you want to start, just click the TV. The video will start, like I say, no ads. I did that because of my own anxiety. So I will start off the small group for you. And after a six or seven minute video, you can just dive into the questions. And I promise, Rachel, you can uh, attest to this perhaps. None of the questions are yes or no flat questions that you're going to (laughs) feel awkward in. That is awkward when you are in a small group and you ask a yes or no question and you can't get dialogue going. So I appreciate that. Well, before we end, you know, you have accomplished a lot after your accident and you know you should not be teaching at a university you should not have had a child you should not have written a book but yet you took your pain and you brought purpose you were a victim of unfortunate circumstances and you became victorious so can you just leave our audience with one piece of advice before we end today I think I would like to share the encouragement to really ground yourself in the fact that God is with you and God is your strength. Because we all have days, I think, where we hear a podcast like this and we're encouraged and we're uplifted. And then by the evening, we're struggling again and <laughs> yeah. feeling weak. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Whether we are strong in ourselves or we're weak, it doesn't matter because in our weakness, that's when we can rely on Christ's strength. And I think we're even stronger in our weakness. So that would be my encouragement. Really rely on God's strength. No matter what comes your way, God is with you. Mm -hmm. And even if you have that, you know, moment where your whole world changes like Mary, God still has your future in control and is with you. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much. Again, you can follow Dr. Marina Hoffman on Instagram and then check out her website at womeninthebible.com. Thank you so much, Marina. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you again for joining Dr. Hoffman and I's conversation on the Unique On Purpose podcast. I love being able to dig deeper into different people of the Bible and find God's truth. Don't forget to share, download, and subscribe. And remember, you were created unique on purpose. You are loved because of Christ. You have been made worthy. I'll see you next time.